1: am i excited about the
2: 12th of december not particularly the time for protest is over it's time for leadership and that is what this government provides
1: in every town and village in this country labor will be there giving a message of real hope where this government offers nothing
0: people have a very clear choice if they want brexit they can vote for labor or the conservatives of the brexit party and if they want to stop brexit they need to vote for the liberal democrats
2: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salek.
0: And a very good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, it's Halloween, the 31st of October. Should have been Brexit Day, but it isn't.
2: It's just normal Halloween. You got your costume sorted?
0: Uh, no, I do not, but everyone in my family does. I've got a skeleton, a witch, and uh, one other to decide. Do you decide. want to know
2: what I went as last year? Go on. I panicked. Michael Portillo. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Do you know how quickly you can get out some coloured trousers and a blazer? It was brilliant. Very convincing. Oh
0: my gosh, I'm going to be laughing for the rest of the programme with that now. Um, uh, Look, we've just uh, been listening of course to Jeremy Corbyn. Look, are we getting inching ever closer to the United States in uh, this uh, general election campaign, which of course begins uh, now, six weeks ago until election day. Jeremy Corbyn talking about the NHS not for sale. And what did the crowd chant? Not for sale. Very, very evocative of uh, the US presidential election.
2: Yeah, he's certainly got his people, hasn't he? Uh, And that's a environment he's very comfortable in. Let's have a listen to what people have been saying today. Conservatives say they do have a clear election message, despite the fact they didn't deliver Brexit on time. We heard from Grant Shapps, the transport secretary, he's warning a Labour government would only prolong the process. In this election, there'll be a really clear choice because there's only one party who are saying, vote for us. We have the deal there. We'll have this done by Christmas.
0: So that was Grant Shapps. Meanwhile, Jeremy Corbyn, as I mentioned, uh, used a speech in Battersea in London to attack tax dodgers, bad bosses, big polluters, dodgy landlords and billionaire-owned media. Here he is.
1: Today we launch the most ambitious and radical campaign our country has ever seen to bring real change to all parts of this country. If you want to live in a society that works for everybody not just the billionaires. If you want to save our hospitals, schools and public services from Tory cuts and privatisation, if you want to stop the big polluters destroying our environment, then this election is your chance to vote for it.
2: Jeremy Corbyn there laying out the stall for Labour as this election gets underway. Well, let's get right into it. Joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is Alistair Burt, Conservative MP, former Foreign Office Minister. You're back in the party, having had the whip uh, restored to you, but you're not standing again. Let's get into the dynamics of this election. It's a big gamble for Boris Johnson, this, isn't it?
1: It's a huge gamble, and, and it's quite extraordinary, coming from someone who so obviously wanted to be Prime Minister more than anything else in his life, having just effectively got through the door, and being presented with Two different routes. One to get the bill endorsing Brexit through the House of Commons and go to the country after that and have one sort of election, or to do what he's done now without Brexit being sorted, go for a different sort of election. I think the bigger gamble is with the latter. Uh, That's what he's chosen to do. And I suspect this election will be as much about his powers of campaigning and leadership and whether he can give the election the direction that he wants to give it or whether the public will think the election is about something else.
0: Mm, Whether it's about Brexit, because obviously, as we mentioned, this was the day that the UK was meant to be leaving.
1: I don't think there's any doubt that the beginning of the election is bound to be about Brexit. Uh, That's what we're talking about today, and that will dominate for the next few days. But... Um, it is very much the Mike Tyson thing. Everybody's got a plan until somebody punches you on the nose. Every election has got a plan until the first week is over. And then people start to decide themselves. The public start to decide what they think the issues might be. Uh, I've no doubt the Conservative Party's uh, hit is to keep it very focused on Brexit. Um, But they're all in the same boat, really. Lib Dems are in the same boat. Labour may be different because they can't decide what to do. And it will turn out as to what the public really want this election to be about.
0: You sound very sceptical about your own party.
1: Um, I'm sceptical about the background to the election because I do believe it would have been a safer bet for the Conservative Party to get Brexit through. Now, I understand the Prime Minister's frustration and the decision was taken in in Downing Street that they didn't think... the bill would get through to deliver the legislation behind Brexit. Now, the truth is, we'll never know, because apart from that one programme motion, it was never tried. So we don't know. So the, the Prime Minister's taking the decision that he has because of the frustration, and there we are. But I think, and my preference would have been for the Conservative Party to get Brexit done, and then you can't be attacked by the Brexit Party for not having done it, the Liberal Democrat demand for a referendum is gone and they would have to start campaigning to return to the EU. And you can focus on the future as the Conservative government with the domestic programme and everything else. Brexit is done. If you have an election when Brexit is up in the air, I think but, inevitably but, but there's but more But the Prime risk.
0: Minister couldn't get Brexit done.
1: Well we don't, as I say, we don't know. People didn't think he could get a deal, he did. Um, People didn't think you could get the in deal, deal endorsed by Parliament. It was... What wasn't endorsed was getting the legislation through and they had one go at it, one programme motion, decided it wouldn't work and decided to go for an election. I would have preferred that they tried something else. But the truth is we won't know whether their judgment was right or wrong. So we have an election. I would want the Conservative Party to win because I think it's the best bet for the future of the country without a doubt. But I just think there's more risk attached to it.
2: Well, let's look at one of the other battlegrounds and that's public services. We had a lot of announcements already from the Conservatives taking on the NHS as well. But it comes... On the back of a pretty bad record for the Conservatives, a record shortage of nurses, NHS spending uh, on private health providers doubling since 2010. How does the Tories take on the the Labour Party, essentially, on what is their historical project?
1: I think it was a recent poll that said people trusted Boris Johnson on the NHS more than Jeremy Corbyn. I think there's two things here. Firstly... The Conservative Party throughout my lifetime has fought an election with the Labour Party saying the Tories are going to end the NHS. It's never true and it won't be true. I think people are tired of that. Secondly, private using the private sector in the NHS was started by Tony Blair, uh, although it's always been part of the NHS with, with private medicine. But it's drastically accelerated under your party. Not drastically accelerated. There are more contracts given, but the percentage uh, which is private in the NHS is extremely small compared to everything else. And we're still dealing with the residue of uh, the austerity programme post-2010 when there was no money. So we're still dealing with the after effects of that. Mm. I think what the the Health Secretary has announced in recent days in terms of now that we've moved away from that, the treasure chest built up by Phil Hammond, by hard work from the British people and the Conservative government, gives the public services a chance. I I think it's a message that plays to the Labour faithful, you know, we'll save the NHS, but You know, as I say, I've been through it through nine elections, and... The, the NHS is still there. Yeah. I, was an, I was a health minister. <laughs> My dad's an NHS doctor. My okay. brother's an Look, NHS, NHS doctor. It's to, nonsense. It,
0: okay, the NHS may not be about to disappear, but it's certainly true that the Conservative Party has enacted nine years of austerity and yes. only now started to just Correct. slightly turn on the spigot with yep. you know pledges uh, uh, to, to spend more on the NHS in terms of building new hospitals and spending on police. But these are small sums after nine years, I and mean, this is still yes. fresh for many, many. Voters.
1: Absolutely right. And it does come back to what produced the nine years of austerity in the first place. Now, our argument is simple, left with no money. We had to take the difficult action to correct the economy. You know, but it's the, about the, the people the, who have the, suffered. The deficit. I understand that. But it, it then comes back to who caused that. You know, and, and we're very clear. Um, from the uh, the Treasury Minister's little note saying all the money's gone. Everyone knows that we were left with no money and practically bankrupt, and work has been done to correct that. And that that price has been paid by the British people, no doubt about that. But the question is, when you look forward, are you going to elect a Labour government that's going to run out of money again, or are you going to bank what has been achieved and say... These guys the Conservative Party have the best plans for the public sector but both of you and we coming can coming out with trust huge them. spending pledges. Sorry,
2: both parties are coming out with huge spending pledges.
1: Yeah, I I would make the difference. The last time the Labour Party came up with huge spending ples- pledges, they spent all the money and the money disappeared. Uh, we at least have been able to control the economy and now we want to put the money in the investment of the public services. What ab- I'm confident we will. What
2: about the direction of the party because you're an example of somebody who was uh, was thrown out temporarily at least, uh, who I'd say is purged, who, who is more moderate. Time saying today that only 26 of 43 members of the One Nation group are standing again. So we're seeing a lurch here, aren't we?
1: Yeah, it's, um, it is interesting. I think colleagues have made individual decisions as to why they may not be standing. Um, but you're right to detect that in the movement of people, I don't think there's anyone from the ERG, the hardline Brexit uh, sceptics group, uh, who is leaving. But many colleagues associated with One Nation are. Each of us has our own story. Um, I was quite clear. I I felt many weeks ago this election was likely to be about Brexit, likely to be put on a manifesto that I would find personally uncomfortable. And I decided after 32 years, I had a reasonable argument to say that I've given... You know my life to politics, but I have an opportunity to do something else now in public life, which I would like to take.
0: Mm. What about the resignation of high-profile women? It's not just about, no, um, not. you know, the, the, the diversity of political view. It's sort of it's is diversity in many senses. Amber Rudd, Nicky Morgan. I mean, that's um, could be quite a troubling sign for Tory voters and others.
1: Yes, it is. I mean, I I think it's a troubling sight for any voter because the reasons given are not just party reasons there are the pressure that women MPs are under which is totally different to how it was in 1983 when I first became a member and I think is still profoundly different for men and women in parliament the abuse that women suffer the sexual references the violence for some women this is on a completely different scale mm, than anything we've seen both Labour and Conservative yeah
0: no political party though seems to be uh, have come up with a really tough answer on it though
1: I'm not sure society's come up with a tough answer. Women politicians are not the only ones who are targeted for this sort of abuse. If you're a celebrity, if you're a media celebrity, if you're a sports celebrity, this is a sickness that's affected society as a whole. But you're absolutely correct. No one has an answer for this unless you're going to police the Internet much more rigidly and say, actually, there is a line of invective that we're simply not going to allow and close people down. They'll only move to another account. This is this is something that's affected us as a whole. But but to drive really fine women MPs on all sides of the house from all parties, like Heidi Allen was saying yesterday, um, this this is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. a, a society gets a parliament and a politician it deserves, and I think society's got to look very hard at what it's doing and if it's driving out right. these good people.
2: I'm looking at the Telegraph, which has got a follow-up to the Brexit party story in yesterday's Times. That was John Longworth, uh, the MEP, calling for the party to target just 20 seats uh, and really go for it and try and return those pro leave MPs back to Westminster. Splits now emerging, the Telegraph says, in the party over this strategy. Several figures now backing what they call the sensible option of focusing resources on these smaller numbers. One senior MEP suggesting they could field as few as 20 candidates, as Longworth said. Others say it could be closer to 100 Farage sounds pretty relaxed. According to The Telegraph, he said he's got nothing to worry about. He's working through it. He'll announce it in good time. But he's gone awfully quiet, hasn't he? I tweeted this yesterday. It's strange to go a few days and not see him gracing the airwaves.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I'm surprised because I still haven't uh, clapped eyes on the 600 candidates. Uh, you know, It's bold. Yeah, it is a bold move. And uh, yeah, I was wondering whether we'd see a nice photograph at some point, but we have not. Uh, anyway, have a little listen to this.
1: Order! Or order! Order!
0: What a great voice. (laughs) <laughs> A great voice for radio. Uh, and unfortunately, we won't be hearing much more of those sounds because John Burko, of course, is stepping down as the Speaker of the House. And forget all the warm words from Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, I pick out the Evening Standards uh, piece uh, about Burko leaving. John Burko's biggest bust-ups, five of the biggest rows involving the Speaker, revealing that he voted for Remain in 2017. Surprise, surprise. Uh-huh, accusations of bullying and... And then, crucially, uh, overruling the government, uh, getting too big for his boots, essentially. So, a nice little write-up from the Evening Standard.
2: Yes, a controversial character, one who'll no doubt do very well over in the U.S., where he's quite <laughs> the uh, quite quite the fan over there. Um, let's bring in Edward Robinson. You've got another story that's out in the latest edition of Bloomberg Business Week. You're looking at Jennifer Arcuri, talking about the times that you've come into contact with her as well. In your in your role as a Bloomberg reporter, you first met her back in 2015. Talk to us about your encounters with her.
4: Uh, yes, I met Jennifer Curie uh, back in the heyday of the uh, the London startup scene. And uh, she was just one of many figures, entrepreneurs, um, startup founders who were kind of moving through the scene at the time. But she stood out. Uh, largely because she just didn't have an ounce of shyness in her and she cast herself as this kind of master of ceremonies for the Shoreditch tech scene. And so she drew a lot of attention and she started these conferences and she did pretty well at them. They, they generated a lot of uh, a lot of heat, a lot of news. And, of course, she landed a star attraction, which was the mayor at that time, Boris Johnson. And through that relationship, she kind of, you know, staked her claim. In the London scene.
0: But look, in the stories that have emerged and the kind of controversy surrounding her relationship with Boris Johnson, um, you know, she's she's trodden quite a firm line. I mean, you know, from the interview that she gave on British television um, uh, to, to the kind of sightings of various reporters over in the US, she has um, stuck very carefully and sort of not dished the dirt, I guess.
4: Yes, that's true. That's been a really interesting facet of the story is that... Uh I mean, on the one hand, our Curie is mortified by everything that's happened. But on the other, she's also, I mean, I almost want to say she's kind of a player. Mm. You know, like she she gets it. She knows how to she knows how this works. She knows how the media works. And she's quite adamant in wanting to stand her ground as an entrepreneur and as a businesswoman, but she's also been very careful not to just go ahead and spill the beans on whatever their relationship was. Speaking to Piers Morgan, they were asking her about whether Johnson Mm -hmm. ever used the pole in the flat she says,
2: I'm never, never going to tell you that. It wasn't a denial per se, right. but I like what you say about her tenacity. I wonder whether we're getting that mixed up with all the will they won't they. Is that what got her all of these meetings, these trips, these, uh, all of these opportunities, essentially, rather than anything
4: sordid? Well, there's inquiries underway to try and get to the bottom of that. But certainly it is safe to say that she was tenacious, that she didn't take no for an answer, that she just saw no reason why she shouldn't be on these trips. And so she was. She, she told me, you know, I, I lobbied Boris. I lobbied his officials, mm-hmm. members of his staff, members of London and partner. I wanted to be on these trips. And the way she did that was quite something as well. Sorry, the way she did that—inventing fake societies at her university and all of that—that's how she got into the uh, British Venture Capital Association yes. meeting where she met Johnson, really as kind of a fluke. But yeah, she's she's definitely got a lot of moxie. Yeah, and so she's improvising on the spot, which a lot of startup founders recognize as this kind of entrepreneurial trait. You got to be quick on your feet. Now, whether that at some point crossed over or crossed the line. Uh, that's what various municipal officials are examining right now.
0: Okay, well, listen, um, I encourage our listeners uh, to have a look at the latest edition of Bloomberg Business Week and read uh, Ed Robinson's piece on Jennifer Arcury. And I want to bring in um, Alistair Burt, MP, at this point because. I think that this article is very relevant and this whole story is very relevant, obviously during the election campaign. Um, you know, Mr Johnson could be seen as a very Marmite candidate. He's very well known. He has a lot of these controversies surrounding him. As you say, six weeks is a long time in politics. Big room for slip ups for Mr Johnson.
1: I can't see anything damaging in what Edward's was saying uh, in, in relation to this uh, for him, because uh, there is something being said about Jennifer Curry that people perhaps didn't realise. And I think there are elements of this story that the public would discount in any case. Much more worrying is whether or not there might have been any financial issue, and yeah. that's been dealt with through an inquiry, and that's something quite separate. Uh, and of course, the longer the election goes on, the more risk. But I don't think this is something that will... Uh, the character, I what, what it means when it,
0: when it comes to, to, to character, that's the question.
1: Uh, Yes, that will no doubt play. But again, I I think there's a large amount of discounting in that. I mean, Boris Johnson is who he is. It's not that there's much that can be revealed about him that the public don't know. He took his personality to London twice uh, in very big elections, if there had been anything that people could have brought him down on, it could have been done then. He's been elected resoundingly as the leader of the Conservative Party. And I think most members of the public know something about Boris Johnson and they've made their mind up. Uh, And it seems to be positive for him as a campaigner. Well, the Conservative Party is one
2: thing, the North is another. Here's a man who is an Old Etonian, he went to Oxford, he's a certain kind of guy. Is he going to float in those seats in the north where he's trying to
1: win over? He needs those, really, to make
2: the gains he wants.
1: You're going to compare that with Jeremy Corbyn's personality? I don't think it'll make a halfpenny worth of difference. I think um, people up in the north... Uh, they're quite used to old Newtonians and they're certainly used to public school boys like Tony Blair who led the Labour Party from public school. So uh, I I think that's that's, that's not really going to fly. What's going to fly for Boris Johnson in the north will be straightforwardly leave. And then, as you mentioned before, can they trust the Conservative Party in relation to deliver what has been carefully saved and then spent on the public services? I don't think it's a bad argument that they'll put over and I think they'll push it very hard.
0: Uh, Ed Robinson, who uh, is still with us, what do you think this whole story um, uh, says to us about the Prime Minister and about the election campaign, the R. Curie mm-hmm. story? Do you think it, it will simply not feature, not play in? Everybody uh, is, um, you know, voters are grown-ups and they know what Mr. Johnson is like already, so this is just being discounted or, or I not? think
4: so much depends on what the inquiries find. So right now, the, um, the independent... Uh Uh, Police Office of Conduct is looking at the matter, and if it decides that it's worth a full-fledged investigation, that could pump a lot of oxygen into the story, so much depends on that. Much will also depend, too, though, on the fact that Jennifer Arcuri is planning on returning to the UK this month, Hmm. and she'll probably do a round of media, so there's going to be another cycle of stories. now. Maybe people will be tired of it by then. We don't know. A lot just depends on what happens. But there is going to be another cycle. And what's next for her? Because there's some talk of her going on reality TV. Is that going to play out during this campaign? would be amazing. Uh, I, I don't think that she is talking to producers of various shows. Dancing with the Stars. There we go. I'm a celebrity. <laughs> Get me out of here. Um, she's talking to the producers of Loose Women. Which is the talk show, the daytime talk show, about maybe going on there. Uh, Whether that would happen in the election cycle, I don't know. A whole
0: nother brand of entertainment. Uh, (laughs) Let's stick to the politics, though, shall we? Uh, Away uh, from the glitz and the sparkles. Um, Alistair, Having said that, what about the other (coughs) political parties? We've spent a lot of time talking about Labour and Tory, but we cannot ignore that the SNP are incredibly strong in Scotland. Uh, Liberal Democrats, um, you know, we've been speaking over the last few days about how the Liberal Democrat voter has not disappeared. They've just perhaps gone into hiding. And under Joe Swinson, will we see a big swing in favour of the Lib Dems?
1: I think both the SNP and the Lib Dems fancy their chances to pick up quite a number of seats. Uh, The Lib Dems will run extremely hard now. They've got the opportunity to do so on Vote For Us and its referendum, or if enough people all over the country vote for us, we can throw Brexit out. That is attractive to anyone who wants to see the UK remain and wants a different answer to leave, and in key liberal marginal seats – um, I think that could be quite effective. The SNP are very confident of picking up uh, seats in Scotland from the Conservatives, particularly because Ruth Davison isn't there as well. So that adds to the degree of risk about the election at the moment. And for that to be countered by the uh, by the Conservative Party, we've got to pick up seats in the northern parts of the country and in the Midlands. So that's where the gamble lies. Will there be enough compensation for one or the other?
2: And i to very quickly, you're not standing again. Are you going to put your feet up? What's next?
1: I'm not going to put my feet up. I'm uh, you know, Firstly, during the campaign, I'll be going around uh, looking for friends and going to visit them, some of the One Nation colleagues who will be standing in various seats, going to visit them and campaign for them. Uh, but after that, no, I'm, I'm looking for a job. So all you listeners out there who are looking for someone who's versed in the Middle East and has a uh, half-decent reputation, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm available.
0: That's a great CV. Thank you so You're much. Right. We're, we're in the jobs market now too. Uh, right, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, this uh, afternoon. Uh, That is, of course, uh, the Conservative MP Alastair Burt, former Foreign Office Minister in the studio.
1: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
3: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies, from big tech to startups, will dominate?